Welcome back to another episode of Fight in Progress, a podcast conversation about our men and women in law enforcement and the challenges they face. With lead stress coach and founder of Under the Shield Foundation, Susan Simmons, and Arizona police officer, Ace Walker. Thank you to UFIT MMA and Jiu-Jitsu for supporting this episode. Their info is in the description below. And now a message from our new sponsor, FHE Health. This is Dr. Bo Nelson. I'm the Director of Clinical Services at FHE Health in Deerfield Beach, Florida. For over 20 years, FHE Health has been providing quality substance abuse and mental health services. An important part of our work is our Shatterproof program that works with first responders. We treat police, fire, EMS, military, and corrections officers in an environment that is supportive of them. We have a staff of trained professionals who understand the issues that first responders go through. Some of our staff are former first responders. We also have an innovative neurotherapy program that actually gets to the root of the problems that are faced by our first responders. This can include PTSD, depression, anxiety, and substance abuse disorders. At FHE Health, our Shatterproof program is designed to help the people who help others. We are committed to the first responder population, and we offer hope and healing. All right, welcome back to Fight in Progress. I don't even know what episode this is. 33. 33, wow. We've been doing this a while now. Yeah, since August last year. I remember specifically because it's written in many documents. (laughs) Can't imagine why that's the case. Right. (laughs) Could have something to do with our topic today. But anyway, we are honored to have you here, sir. Do I have to call you by some particular name since Steve is great. Since lawyers have all these initials and things they give me a hard time. He makes me call him Mr. Steve. Mr. Steve. Oh, let's <laughs> Never call him done that ever. Let's call him Mr. Steve. Oh, let's I not. Think, I let's think not that's do a that. good one for you. Oh, that's going to stick. And Ace is back for those of you who missed last week. Thank God in heaven. Yes, he's back. He was struggling there having to just produce this thing. Silence is not a strong suit. For it's me. really not. No, as we'll discuss. It's also why you were in control of editing. Yes. Not that you necessarily did a good job. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> kind of screwed that pooch, didn't uh, you, buddy? <laughs> yeah, why not? Anyway, we're glad to have you here, Steve, to talk about this very important topic. That... Thanks for having me, longtime listener, first time caller. Uh, what are we talking about today, eh? Since this is we... this is your yes, this is your uh, what do we want to call this? My episode. This is your episode. That's what I'm going to title it too. Your my episode. <laughs> No, we're gonna we're gonna go over the lessons that uh, Steve and I both learned. Uh, I probably learned a little more than he did. I learned, he's but been I in don't the game care. For a while. Yeah. So. <laughs> going through the the termination and the appeal process and all that, working for the reservation, and some of the interesting processes that we encountered along the way. It's my goal here, like we talked about last week, is to educate officers that are interested in or do currently work for a reservation yes. or a tribal nation um, because there are differences with the way no. that, with, with your with your rights and due process and I'm I'm only going to specific Steve may have more knowledge than I do about other reservations but I'm only going to speak on what I've learned about my particular agency Salt River Police Department that's the only one I've worked for that's the only one I know anything about but I think it's important to establish up front is what happened with us is that consistent throughout all reservations 
or do some reservations have different rules and different guidelines and stuff? Right. So that's the big issue that Ace experienced personally and that we learned here is that reservations are all different. So reservations have the option for how they want to establish their system. Okay. And here in Arizona, we have the Peace Officers Bill of Rights. In many states, they have Peace Officers Bill of Rights. In Arizona, agencies on reservations can say, yes, we want to follow that. Or they can say, nope, we do not. So it's up to the reservation for them to decide if they want to essentially opt in to say we're going to follow these procedures. But the state law is not legally binding on the reservation. Would yeah. that have made a difference at all in this case? It, it, it doesn't change anything about, about getting things to federal court, though, does it? Well, that's the thing is that you actually can't bring a case to federal court. You can't bring a case to state court on the reservation related to the Peace Officers Bill of Rights if it doesn't apply. So I think it does change quite a bit okay, because the standard that I use and yeah. that is used all throughout the state of Arizona is just cause. So you can't terminate somebody without just cause. Right. Then the other thing that we would use in Arizona in this case, we had a situation where there was a termination that was clearly based off of speech, mm-hmm. this podcast speech. And that's a federal First Amendment right that if we were in the state of Arizona and any other agency, big mm-hmm. or small, if you're violating someone's First Amendment rights, you can bring a case in federal court. You can't do that on a reservation or with a reservation's police department. So right. you could possibly in an Oklahoma or a Wyoming or some other place? No. So oh, you, that is consistent. That is consistent. Okay. So the rule is, is that if it's a reservation and they're violating a constitutional right, like mm-hmm. your right to free speech, you can't bring that violation as part of a suit in federal court. You can only challenge that, if you can challenge it at all, in the tribal court. Right, okay. which is why we've, it's basically done now after right. the appeal. So right. let's start with some background. Steve, who who are you? What do you do? What, Mr. Where do you Steve come from? Mi- sorry, <laughs> Mr. Steve, dang it. My name's Steve Serbalik. I am an attorney for ASCOPS. I'm a panel attorney for ASCOPS here in Arizona, and I represent police officers in all kinds of different circumstances. So everything from officer-involved shootings, I go out to the scenes, to disciplinary cases, to appeals like yours, and then to post-proceedings too. So basically anything that an officer gets involved in, I'm the guy, if they need help, I'm their backup. So don't tune him out, audience, just because you heard lawyer. He's one of the good guys. He's on the right side of this thing. Don't hear defense attorney. That's when I know they're mad at me is if they call me a defense attorney. I defend the police officers. <laughs> I'm go. not a defense attorney. So I want to make side. sure that they didn't just shut you right out because right. we know how that works. I get that. And I'd like to say up front that we did invite the chief from yes, Salt River Police yes, Department did. to attend. We gave him over a week's notice. We emailed him. And um, we invited him or his representative to did show you, up. Did you get any response at all? Got no response at all. Yeah, I didn't so, expect them to show up, but I thought maybe he'd respond. I didn't. I, you know, I kept thinking, watching my watch for 9 o'clock this morning. But here, here's the fun part. The driveway. I know for sure that he got that email. Oh, you did? And that he read it. Well, I mean, I didn't talk to him, but he... He's oh, a, y'all didn't have lunch or He's a machine, or yeah. I know he checks his emails. I know he got your email, and I know that he's going to want to know what we're talking about. So I know he's listening. Hello, Chief. How are you? Good morning, Chief. We're happy to have you as a, <laughs> uh, hopefully, maybe even a regular listener of our podcast. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, he might learn something. So let's start from when you got involved. So I called you a little too late. Boy, right? did he. Yeah. So, right, this, that's what we're going to go over is, is what we're learning, right? So something I learned, 
I got involved with ASCOPs just a hair. It was like seven or nine days, I don't remember which, too late after they had initiated my investigation so ASCOPs couldn't cover that based on their policy and that that's just how that works. It's like, it's like insurance. buying insurance right. after, after your house is yeah, already burned down. Exactly. And let's talk about what you really learned. Well, which lesson? The first and most important lesson. Oh, I, well, I know what she wants me to you. say. She wants me to say, Yes. I didn't listen to Susan. There you go. That's, that's the one. <laughs> Susan was right. Susan was right, and I didn't listen to her. Exactly. Here's the thing. Your job is really tough. People that are in law enforcement are under scrutiny. They always have been. They're under even more scrutiny well, so. now than they've ever been. And you can't do that job, I don't think, without having coverage. My brother is a police officer. I've encouraged him to have coverage of some sort yep. from day one. You just can't go into this without having backup in a situations that you don't know that you're going to get into. You don't know what a discipline case is. And the worst thing that I hear, it breaks my heart, is this concept of, I'm a good cop. I'm not going to get in trouble. <laughs> I don't need that. Yep. The reality is is that it could be anything from a critical incident if you're involved in a shooting or an in-custody death, or it can be something where you are just exercising your First Amendment rights <laughs> outside of work. Exactly. But you need that coverage, and you need to then not only have the coverage, but communicate about weird situations with people that actually can help. Yep. And let's say this, because AZ cops, if, if somebody's law enforcement in the state of Arizona... AZ Cops will take any law enforcement officer as a member, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So what we do is we try to make sure that there's the right resources in place mm -hmm. for officers. So we're at pretty much every agency right now. And if you are a police officer in Arizona and you want to have ASCOPS coverage, mm -hmm. if you contact us and say, look, I've got three buddies and we want to join, we try not to have like single people at agencies sure. because we want that peer support. Sure. We're actually really big believers in being able to have somebody with your agency that if you're under investigation, someone can come and sit in with you, sure. which is a right under state law in Arizona, but not necessarily on a reservation. We want to be able to build this concept of you're not at it, you're not at it alone. Right. There's a team behind you and there's a team working with you on the agency level and then up at the state level and then on the legal level as well. And then we provide coverage, which is unique where if you're under investigation, if you get a notice of investigation, you're immediately entitled to actually being able to talk to a lawyer. So we plan ahead. I call okay, it killing good. business sometimes where I talk to somebody about a pending investigation mm -hmm. because if we can get things straightened out, if we can figure out how to best articulate what happened and make it clear when you go to investigations, mm -hmm. we can avoid people having to deal with appeals or terminations or things like that a lot of the time. Sure. Right. So at the beginning of mine, when I first contacted you, I'm trying to remember exactly what step I was at. I think they had just put me on administrative leave right after the uh, pre-disciplinary hearing. So right. we had just gotten a taste of what they were uh, deciding I had done. And again, that's the difference between what happened with you and what yeah. would happen everywhere else in Arizona. So yeah, you contacted me after you'd already had a meeting with the chief but you still didn't know what you were even being accused of. Yeah. You didn't actually know the basis of your investigation. Yeah. And what you did is you did your best that you could of giving a statement without knowing, but that's one of the things that I would have helped out with. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that we recommend. Again, don't go at it alone. Have that level of support and backup so that when you're going to tell your story, that's what I'm talking about. When you're going to articulate what happened, you can put it in the best 
perspective that you have. So you had just given your statement to the chief, yeah. which was technically the final thing in the investigation. Right. Yeah, and, and I then, didn't know that either. Right, and they didn't tell you, and yeah. they didn't have to tell you. Yeah, so going, going into the pre-disciplinary hearing, a couple days before that, when they told me I was going to have a pre-disciplinary hearing, um, which I had never had before, I'd never had any punishment Shockingly. yeah any any formal punishment which it may be surprising to our listeners knowing how <laughs> loud-mouthed i am and uh, you know verbally combative i can be but i had never had any formal discipline of any kind i didn't know exactly what what the game was that that was going to be played so i asked the lieutenant who had told me i was going to have this defense or not defense interview the predisciplinary hearing um what i was supposed to do to prepare for that could i come get a copy of the report any of this um, I was told I couldn't have a copy of the report, but I could come look at it. I couldn't take a picture. I couldn't have a copy, but I could come look at it. So and is I did. that is that that falls under their rules again? That that's okay. That's under their rules, and that's not consistent with even again. The hard part is is that you you might have the constitutional rights right on the reservation, but you don't have the remedy of being able to go to federal court. So I've actually litigated this before, where someone was told, "Hey, you're about to get fired." And then I said, hey, wait a second. We don't even have the investigation here. Right. We need to be able to review this. He has the right to consult with an attorney prior to a pre-termination hearing. He has the right to prepare to sure. actually say his side of the story. Sure. And I've fought that in federal court for regular agencies. Can't do it for reservations. And having, if the reservations here adopted or adhered to AZ Post police officer bill of rights would that have made a difference well az post and the peace officers bill of rights are actually two different things okay. so they're not related so as post well, is the okay. there's the certification group but they don't mandate and they can't mandate that a reservation would have to follow like a different set of laws okay so as post says you as an agency have to follow the law that governs your agency and because the peace officers bill of rights is not applicable on reservations unless the reservation chooses to say hey we're going to adopt this and we're going to follow this mm -hmm. then you can't actually use the peace officers bill of rights on and, a reservation but and, would it have helped him if let's say they did fall under the peace officer bill of rights would that have changed a lot of this absolutely it okay. would have so one of the things that happens in the peace officers bill of rights and one of the things that i check for when i represent people mm -hmm. is that you're entitled to a notice of investigation but you're also, at the time that you get that notice of investigation, you're entitled to know the facts that serve as the basis of the complaint against you. So they can't just say, hey, you're under investigation for saying bad things. Right. They have to say, here's what we are investigating you for. Here's where we think that you said it. Here's an audio clip, maybe, of what we're concerned about. And the problem is when Ace went in, he's going, I don't even know what quotes specifically there's an right. issue for. And we couldn't figure it out all the way up to and including in the process. I don't know that we figured it out yet. <laughs> no, we haven't. And that's the problem. But yeah. to your to answer your question, if this was a standard case mm -hmm. in the state of Arizona for a normal agency, Ace would have known about that when he got the notice of investigation. And if he got a deficient one, if he got a notice of investigation that didn't tell him those facts, that's the kind of thing that I would follow up on to say, hey, just so you know, you haven't given a proper NOI, you haven't given the basis of the complaint, which is what he's legally entitled to, mm -hmm. and that can affect all kinds of aspects of not just the investigation, but then the appeal, and then what your rights are under state law. Right, and all, all that seems to be important because it gives due process, which which is what is fair in this kind of thing when you 
terminate somebody's sure. livelihood. So that that's what was eye-opening for me is I didn't, as this happened, <clears throat> as I was, you know, denied a copy of the report and then uh, they were ready to take my gun and badge after the pre-disciplinary hearing and everything just kind of spiraled. It was like, oh, okay, I don't have any power or rights or anything to protect myself here. I'm kind of at the will of the tribe. And that was scary not having like a backup plan i wasn't planning on doing anything other than being a cop for the next 23 years well and when it comes down to it too i want to kind of dispel a notion that i hear quite a bit of like well why are you getting all that information prior to your interview the other reason that they do this the public policy reason for this Mm -hmm. is that integrity issues are everything for police officers if there's an allegation that you lied or that you didn't say something that you should have said during an interview, that can not only cost you your job, but it can cost you your career. Sure. The reason that we give police officers this information is to say, we don't want this to be a memory contest. We don't want this to be a gotcha game. We want you to address all of the allegations that we have against you and then tell the truth with that information. Because if you lie, the standard that we hold police officers to is higher than the standard that we hold anyway. anyone else to. Firefighters, not the same thing. Lawyers. Lawyers, not even the same thing. And that's a good thing in terms of we want to have officers with integrity. Sure. But it's also the reason why this law exists, the reason why this was put into the NOI to get the basis of the complaint mm-hmm. is to say we want officers to tell the truth, the whole truth, and an informed statement without getting into potential accidental integrity issues right so like the reason that this would have been important for me is let's go over a little bit of how that first predisciplinary hearing went it was a huge so the chief came in and when he read through his document i mean this was a multiple page document i don't know if you have a copy i'm sure right sure so and we have a transcript of that meeting yes so he asked me a huge number of questions that were extremely specific a lot of ones like do you do you remember this policy do you remember this and he would enumerate the policy and read the the details of the policy and he i don't know probably a dozen different policies and most were ethics based and yes that kind of stuff and then he would go through um a number of partial quotations from the podcast from at that time i think we had 23 episodes and he would ask me if I remember saying this, and he in quotes. And of course, at the time, as, as you know, when I wrote that statement, I went into that meeting thinking, I'm going to try and make peace with whatever this is, take my lashings, like, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't realize that this was gonna be such a problem. I'm off the podcast, let me solve this for you. I'll fix it. And that's basically what my statement was, a little more wordy and eloquent than that. But, um, and I, so when he would ask me if I remember certain quotes or if I thought that a certain quote broke a certain policy, which obviously morally I disagree with, but at the time in the conversation when he's going through these things, I did not feel like that was the time and place to argue with the chief of police over the semantics of the policy or over the exactness of my quote, which I, up until that point of him stating that quote, I will not have researched it because I was not given materials ahead of time to have researched them for accuracy. So it was, it was. Well, a, and you're nervous too. Like, yeah, so man. A, human, a little bit. It's yeah. a terrifying situation sure. to be in an internal interview generally and then to be sitting there with the chief is a really scary thing. Yeah. And that's another reason why, again, that peer representation is so important to say yeah. we want to have somebody with you. And then also to have backup like me or a lawyer to be able to say, 
okay, this is what you are looking at. This is the context. This is kind of the best way to frame it because you don't know. Yeah. They don't teach you that in the academy. No. Yeah. yeah. This is how to not get fired in an internal investigation. Yeah, we don't have that class. We should probably do that probably class. Probably should have that. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was... I have a YouTube channel. It's got... That's true. <laughs> Easy does, yeah. Lawyer is all up there. I'll, I'll put all that stuff in the link below. Yeah, look out for that. Um, so this this would have been huge. All that knowledge would have been huge going into that first hearing. So... and. I didn't have that, so hindsight 2020, we should have, um, but I didn't. So moving forward after that, they took my badge and my gun and my keys, and they told me that I was now on administrative leave indefinitely until my disciplinary hearing where they actually dish out the punishment, right? So that was three weeks that I was, three weeks or more that I was on, and then they called me on my wife's birthday at 9.30 in the morning and told me at... I think it was 2.30 or 1.30 that same afternoon that I would have to be in the office for my disciplinary hearing that I'd have to bring all my issued equipment, which of course I took the inclination that that means that I would be turning in all my equipment. It's called a clue. Yeah. Right. And I don't know, to be fair, I don't know that it's really even a disciplinary hearing at that point. It was essentially an announcement of what they were going to do. There was no give and take. Yeah. There was no point where I was allowed to speak in that hearing. Right. Um, And so that hearing, the way that went, for those of you that are interested, um, was much like the pre-disciplinary hearing, except I did not get to make a statement. Chief, again, went through his very large document, uh, citing all these different things. Um, and then at the end, he, he stated that there would be, um, there's a disciplinary portion of that. And I have the, the document. It says, you know, discipline received. It says none. And then it says termination uh, effective immediately. Um, so I was never given any other punishment. I was never written up. Nothing like that for any of this. And the, I don't even remember all the policy violations that he said that I Hadn't they grown, incurred. though? What, oh, what, over time, yes. A smaller amount in the pre- <laughs> Well, disciplinary. And that, here's the worst part is that this isn't something that should be happening in terms of at a pre-disciplinary hearing is the first time you learn what policies you're even being investigated right. for. Right. And that was the thing is, is that Ace had had an interview, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes yeah. for, for that part, <laughs> but was never told, hey, we're looking into these 11 policies. Right. Otherwise, again, to quote Susan, that would have been a clue. Yeah. But yeah. It, that's something that you're typically allowed to get in Arizona, which is, okay, here's your notice of investigation. These are generally the policies that we're looking into. These are the facts. They have to give you the facts that are known for that. Because the other part is that if you're sitting there without any documents, without any reference, hearing quotes out of context sure. to say, did you say this and does it violate policy? It must feel like an ambush, I would think. Sure. Yeah, it was, it was not good. From there, it was uh, all about fighting the appeal, which... At first, I was a little hopeful for, and then as things started to unfold, and we started to learn how little, uh, like, as far as rules or any, like, even their own rules, it's, it certainly seemed to me, from outside perspective, you had a lot more communications than I did, Steve, with them. Sure. So I, I got little bits along the way, but it certainly seemed to me that things were kind of being just made up along the way for their own convenience, and certainly not for mine. Um, it did not, I, that was when I really, the, all the, the naivety <laughs> that there was, um, that this was going to be a fair and just process and that the appeal was going to be, you know, a, a thing that would, the, the scales would balance out and I'd get to tell my story and it would make sense. Like that was where I started to realize that maybe that's not how this was going to go. And I want to ask you, Steve, cause I, I find it very interesting that at no point did they ever tell him 
come off the podcast. Sure. Yeah. No point. They ever said that to him. Looking at the big picture, do you kind of feel like they really just took this opportunity to get rid of somebody they saw as a troublemaker? Well, I don't know. I don't know any background related to that. And the thing is, is you're asking me what's the real reason, Mm -hmm. what's in someone's heart. And that's a hard thing for me to kind of look at and say. What I can say is, is that, again, in Arizona and in areas where you'd be able to vindicate this stuff in federal court, you wouldn't be able to tell somebody, don't be on a podcast on your own time. Right. You have a First Amendment right. The Ninth Circuit has recognized this in cases where someone's actually speaking out even about their agency mm-hmm. if it's done without getting into you know confidential criminal justice information or things right. like that if you're on your own time and you're talking about things that are a matter of public concern there's case law that says that you can't be punished for that so i don't know what they were thinking internally but i know what they said and i know what we can and what we can't fight related to that right. and by the way the other part looking at your disciplinary history and hearing from your friends because i now know this is that i don't think it's necessarily being argumentative or disrespectful or insubordinate that's not your history at your agency right your history is asking questions and being inquisitive right. and trying to actually help people doing what you're doing i think with some the, of the i think some of the those in supervisory roles perceived him to be well, but that is some what, people I don't guess like, what I'm referencing because I think it's just it's stuff that needs to happen in law enforcement. We need to have conversations about things that aren't working, why they're not working, why we need to change, and that kind of stuff. Right. And it look it can come across as somebody's bucking the system, but I think every, really all the points he and I've talked about where he was perceived to be argumentative <laughs> were legitimate concerns. Sure. And things that if an agency really wants the best for their people and their public they'll have those conversations and that's the hard part is that what you don't what i don't want from any agency is this concept of you have to fake it yes everything has to be this weird plastic exterior that's not real but that we have to pretend that everything's fine right instead of actually saying look we want to support our officers we want to have people get better we want people to be real to be able to talk to each other and to have respectful conversations up the chain of command and some agencies don't necessarily value that or they're afraid that if that message got out that it's okay to ask questions or it's okay to not be okay that somehow that would make them look bad right one of the worst sayings i've heard for 30 years in my time around law enforcement when i would ask a chief or a sheriff why do we do it that way because we've always done it that way right and you go you know but there are things changing in society and in life that we have to adapt. You know, look at look at how the bank robbery in California changed firearms sure. in law enforcement. Look at going back even farther to Miami, the FBI gunfight down in Miami changed firearms, especially for the feds at that time. You know, but why do we have to have something bad happen? Why can't we just have conversations and people ask questions and come in with different ideas? Well, I think it, well that there's a lot of answers to that question, but I think a lot of it is when something bad finally happens, when somebody dies because something has failed to change over time to protect Mm -hmm. that or to prevent that, the powers that be can no longer argue against that thing. There's now a dead soul that argues against them and they're going to lose that fight. So they must take a, 
in my experience, and maybe I'm jaded now, a political stance to be, oh, this is terrible that this person died. We should fix this thing. Why hasn't this been fixed before? I hear it all the time. Sure. And then you talk to officers and they're like, we've been sending that up the chain for weeks, months, years, whatever. Exactly. So there's a lot of frustration there. But, but here's the thing with that. Even we've been sending it up the chain for weeks or months or whatever. This is one of the other things that I think that labor organizations are really good about if they're done well, which is to say, hey, look, this is a legitimate concern. You're not just one guy shouting into the wind. Right. right. This is uh, this is actually the officers or this is the supervisors or this is a statewide organization that says, hey, this should be a priority for you guys. We've seen it. We have other experiences. Mm -hmm. So if you want to say this is the way it's always been done at this agency in particular, we can tell you about how other people have tried and failed or tried and succeeded sure. in that same situation. Right. And that's the hard part, too, for what happened with you is that you going at it alone or you sending things up the chain alone is not necessarily as effective if you had yeah. peers and then also like other people in union leadership or yeah. organization leadership that can help with that. And, and we talked about that, how it was like no one else was picking these little battles. So for whatever reason, I was just like, fine, I'll do it. And after the hundredth time, you're just discounted at that point. You're just like, oh, this guy picks every fight. Sure. And even if they're good fights, it doesn't matter anymore because you're just the guy that wants to fight. Right. And that's that's how you're perceived. And instead of doing that, build your wolf pack, right? Right. So that would work have been... with other people to say, hey, we're going to do it super respectfully. We're going to be in this situation where we want to improve the agency. And we're going to actually be collaborative from that. And who's the best spokesperson on this issue might be different than another issue. Sure. Right. But that you're not been, at it alone. That would have been the wise way to do it. Yeah. And that's why, sure. to me, this podcast is so important that officers, especially those that are working for reservations, need to know there is an organization out there that they can join because we've been, we were shocked because you really didn't think there was anything you could join. Yeah, I didn't know that. And we've heard it from others that were on the podcast from Salt River, did weren't aware that there was an organization that they could join. Right. And I think that's important. And I think a lot of officers also, and being from the South, we have the same problem. It's a right to work state right. versus un, true union areas in the country. And they think, they don't have any teeth anyway. Right. Well, the reality yeah. is, at some level, sure they do. And whether you fight with your own legal representation by yourself or you fight with the legal representation who specializes in law enforcement matters in the state of Arizona can be a big difference. It's a huge difference. And the other part, too, is more than half my time, actually, mm -hmm. is spent on the not formal stuff, which is super interesting, I think, when people hear that. It's not, I'm not in court half the time. Right. I'm not legally writing things half the time. I'm working with people to say, okay, what's going on? Mm -hmm. How do we articulate this the best? And then what resources can we connect you with, either at your agency or in other places or professional support like you actually sure. i would i would and i have referred people to say hey look here's something that we can do to make you better mm -hmm. and then i can have with their permission the conversations with the agencies to say look at what we're actually doing this is how we're addressing this issue sure and that's the thing is even on a reservation where the legal rights are not as enforceable as they would otherwise be mm -hmm. that preparation to say hey we can work through this issue. We can articulate things better at a meeting with the chief. We can understand policies and things like that, I think still adds value. And then, of right. course, I've actually represented people on the Salt River 
reservation <laughs> yep. related to officer-involved shootings. So there's critical incidents on the reservation as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely key to have representation. Yeah, for. You, need, you touched on something that I want to clarify with the the rights that you may or may not have according to your reservation that you work for, right? So you, you've stated a couple of times that they can adopt um, the Bill of Rights, right? The AZ Bill of Rights, for instance. Um, but even if they adopt it, by it, the way, it's still only enforceable at their tribal exactly, court. Exactly. Exactly what I'm getting to is that they can they can write down on paper or in policy, like, as I learned in my own agency, they can have certain policies and they can say you have certain rights and certain due process. The problem is, is that the like in the state of Arizona or in the country of the United States, if they violate that, you have recourse, right? The problem with the reservation, in my experience, is they can violate that and my recourse, unfortunately, is controlled by them. So I have to go through the people who violated it to try and get retribution and have it fixed. But they're the ones that decided on their own free will to violate it. So of course, they're not going to take my side, as we learned. So that's that's really the dangerous part, is on paper, it may look like you have rights. The problem is, is that they can opt out <laughs> of a lot of that because you don't have a lot of recourse. Um, you, you technically have recourse in the tribal court, right? I could take this fight to a, a civil suit, right? In tribal court. Sure. Um, uh, but then again, I am going on under their rules in their court with their judge and their lawyers and, too. and their I'm not, lawyers. Ad, I'm not admitted in tribal court. For right. Example. It wouldn't be you. Right. And You're so not what? I'm not admitted in tribal court. What do you have to do to get admitted in tribal court? That's a great, great question. <laughs> but it, it is probably different for everybody. It is different for every <laughs> reservation. Some of them let any lawyers in. Some of them have their own bar exam even. Do so they have their own bar here? I don't know if Salt River has their own bar. Some in Arizona do have their own oh, bar it's, exam. Oh, it's by, it's, it's by reservation. Whatever they want to do. Because their laws are different. How do I get right. that to be my world? That it's all according to what Susan wants, and it can only be what I think is fair. And you're a little late to start a reservation. <laughs> yeah, I have so many answers for that, but they're so politically incorrect. Um, <laughs> so let's no let's touch on a little bit. So from your perspective as the legal representative, why was I fired? Per their per their description, their paper, whatever. Why was I terminated? What was it that you were? fighting against or trying to argue against? Well, I'm going to flip the question on its head, actually, sure. and, and do it this way. We should have due process, right? There should be due process. Yes. And that should be a really clear answer that I'd be able to give to say, <laughs> hey, this is the policy. This is black and white. If you violated the policy or not, your articulation was or wasn't good enough. And in the end, we can do like a case analysis, which is what your question's right asking for. I can't give a good answer to that because even now... For the report is absolutely not clear. They're saying that you violated the policy, but they never prohibited you from being on the podcast. Right. They're saying that you sort of violated a direct order not to talk about your agency. And the straw that allegedly broke the camel's back was when you said my small agency experienced the line of duty death. Yeah which was viewed as a violation of an agreement that had never been put in writing and was certainly not in policy that you weren't going to reference your agency on a podcast. Right. And that, I guess, they said in the totality of the circumstances related to your off-duty conduct, related to this podcast, equaled termination. Right. And there's no discipline matrix. They don't have one. There's no comparative discipline. So this is the other thing in Arizona for normal agencies you're able to get comparative like discipline yeah. to say hey i want the last two years of your disciplinary history i want to know how you've handled 
situation similarly, or is this a one-off? Right. When we asked for that from the reservation, they said, <laughs> uh, absolutely not. We're not giving you any comparative yeah. discipline. And in fact, in the hearing, and we'll go a little more into the hearing, but in the hearing, you tried to bring up um, other officers who had participated. Right, and we had how many that, on the... And the three. And those conversations during the hearing were literally shut down because we're not here to talk about other officers, uh, any punishment or anything that they may have received in in accordance to anything else. They can't even talk about it. So you can't even reference comparative discipline. Correct. Or non-discipline. Or non-discipline, right? Yeah. You you couldn't even speculate about what could or could not be done if another officer did this. We're not here to talk about that. Does Salt River claim to have... A progressive discipline policy? Yes. Oh, they do. Okay. It's explicitly written into their policy that progressive discipline is essentially preferred. Yes. In both the department policy and the HR policy. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. And that was, like we said, I had never received any discipline whatsoever for this. There, uh, They did make statements in the appeal that I was um, talked to a couple of times by my sergeant and my lieutenant. I was never talked to by my sergeant. In the in the context that they were stating, which we clarified, but they continued to refer to it as a thing that happened. And the uh, the conversations with the lieutenant were casual at best to start, and then when they were no longer casual, it was already far too late <laughs> for that to for for me to have recovered. There's no allegation that you violated a written order or a written directive right. of any sort at any point in time. Yeah, yeah. So in this this was another thing during the appeal that I thought we would have strong ground on because like we said last week we didn't go into the appeal saying this chief is a terrible chief and this lieutenant did a terrible job we didn't that, that was not our fight our fight was writing is is getting the point across that this must be a misunderstanding because in context this is not a bad thing it when you when you hear the message when you hear the whole purpose of the podcast and what i was trying to accomplish and what i think we did actually accomplish not just trying not just intent but the actual thing that we did is that it was not an offense, certainly not a fireable one. If it was something that they wanted to restrict or that they were not comfortable with, like we said in the appeal, well then, by God, write the, write the policy or talk with him and say, hey, we don't want you on the podcast. <laughs> then have him not be on the podcast, like have a conversation, not just terminate. So we we tried to do that, and it was um, it was not effectual in, in the appeal. When you tried to, we I heard you try to ask them, a number of times what what is it that i upended what is it that i hindered in the department right because they kept saying that it it um oh he he made up a word when he was describing it the, the lieutenant i'm trying to remember what he said but it was discredit and oh disrepute right but uh what was the word that he kept saying he made up a word but it wasn't disrepute i think he i think he read it wrong but we tried to get them to elaborate on evidence of that, of any disrepute to the department or discredit or how I hindered the operation of the agency or of a particular specialty, right? Which I think they were trying to imply that I had hindered the operation of the peer support group is what I gather um, because of the, the offense that I had caused in that one episode. We hurt their feelings. Right. So, and I think that they were trying to say that it hindered the operation of that, but they were never able to supply any statements from anyone, any names of anybody, any actual evidence of any of that. So that for me, well, let's actually take it back to that due process concept yeah. one more time. So in everywhere else in Arizona, the agency 
terminating the officer has the burden of proof to say that they actually need to prove that there was some type of misconduct that occurred. In Salt River, they have actually flipped it around. So it was groundbreaking for me in a number of ways, but this was the only (laughs) appeal that I've ever had. where Prove you didn't do something. Yeah, you had to prove your innocence. Literally, it's in their rules that the burden of proof is actually on the officer, which contradicts state law, but state law doesn't apply. And, And this comes back to what we were talking about, about departments have got to start to be able to take some level of criticism of something, policy, something that they have, and at least have conversations. Because again, this is where I got really frustrated by the whole situation. Besides the fact that Ace was fired and he's a young father and all that stuff. But peer support, I've said this since I moved out here in 2012. I've been doing peer support and running a team in Alabama for 25 plus years. Sure. And we've learned a lot. Right. I'm the only mental health clinician who spent five weeks in the pit with the NYPD. Sure. We learned a lot. And they got their feelings hurt because the that particular podcast was criticizing the process of how they do peer support in-house that I've always talked about, the dangers of in-house peer support, which was what the whole podcast was. Well, and Susan, what's... I have to actually respectfully disagree a little bit mm-hmm. about what that podcast actually was because mm-hmm. I'm super familiar with it, right? Yeah. I, <laughs> I had the transcript. We've talked about it. Right. I know all about it. But what that podcast actually was, mm-hmm. was talking about a tiered approach. Hey, there are multiple levels of resources that you want to get for people. Sure. And peer support, it was not, the title's misleading and it's still up there as peer support nightmare. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't about peer support equals a nightmare. It was, hey, there's one person's story, mm-hmm. but then we talk, you guys talked about the process to say this is how it can be done as a team approach. There's outside the agency. Outside yes. the agency. Yes. And there's different things that will work for different people, but you never discourage people from participating in no. peer support. That's what you we, guys are all about. But we did talk about this is one of the pitfalls of in-house peer support. Sure. That when you get it outside, because like, again, the team in Alabama, we don't let our peers go into the same county they work. Right. And so there's more openness, first of all, and there's less fear of somebody coming in and taking your gun like what happened. Right. In that Because if those guys had, had been an Avondale peer supporter, Glendale, or anybody else, that officer from Salt River would never have lost his gun and badge the next right. day. And so this is about opening our mind. It's not about, oh, peer support's bad. Right. It's about there are better ways to do it that will allow officers to be more open because they don't have the fear because whether we had the podcast everybody at salt river knew what had happened with peer support sure yeah (laughs) every heck a lot of people in other agencies probably knew sure and so our bringing it out didn't suddenly bring this horrible thing out of a closet well i mean not to mention we didn't say salt river or no no, we never said what the agent my name or the other officer's name exactly right and this is this is where i have heartburn in doing this for so long is just have the conversation with show me where my idea is not a good idea or wouldn't work as well or whatever have the conversation well and the other problem is and 
that they took quotes out of context. Yes. So that episode as a whole, mm-hmm. I think, is a gentle suggestion for maybe a better way to do things, but was not supposed to be trashing any particular agency nope. or even trashing peer support and even saying that, oh, agencies need to abolish in-house peer support before they can do something better. Right. The conversations are, hey, let's find ways to improve. Let's help officers who are struggling. Yes. And we can learn from what happened in the past. It's the only way that we learn. But what ended up happening is, is that parts of that were taken out of context. You can mm-hmm. take any quote out of context and make it look extremely different than how it was intended. Absolutely. And that's what happened there is that was twisted to this concept of you were discouraging people from being yep. a part of peer support, which wasn't the message of At the all. podcast or of what this podcast generally is about. No. Right. And that's what I tried to tell all the peer support out here. <laughs> you know, people go into peer support because they want to help. Sure. So let's build one big peer support, valley-wide peer support team, because Phoenix can keep all of us busy. <laughs> right. You know, and where you have smaller agencies where there's not a lot going on, we can utilize everybody, and it, and it would be a, and it's a better system. And that way people are being used. It was not about getting rid of peer support at all. I'm a huge fan of peer support. I was on one of the first teams. Sure. But it's, that's the kind of stuff I want chiefs and sheriffs and and managers and supervisors and all these people to understand, you got to get in the conversation. Yeah. Not just, oh, that's bad. She shouldn't have said that. Or she criticized that. Okay, well, tell me how. And that's, tell me what. that's one of the the liberating things about this, right? Is there, there was a lot of downsides to me being fired. <laughs> sure. But one of the things that I've found liberating is the fact that right now I do not wear a patch on my shoulder for any agency. Mm-hmm. I am not beholden to any of their political stances or policies or public images. It, it is, I'm allowed to have these conversations because they're good conversations to have. And I stand punishable by none of them. Right. And that's honestly, that's nice. I would still like to be a cop. Part of me still wants to do that, but I also don't want to be cuckolded and <laughs> quieted. But the part with that too is in most agencies, mm-hmm. you would have rights to actually have a respectful conversation that are on matters of public concern, and that wouldn't be something that you would be fearful of. Yeah. You have yeah. had other guests from other agencies who yes. use their real names. Yes. I know some of them, and they're not facing retribution because the concept is is that this is a good conversation for people to have, even if it's uncomfortable, to Susan's Absolutely. point. Absolutely. So I don't think that necessarily saying that, hey, you know, I can't do this. I can't spread the message that we're trying to say because I'm a police officer at a different agency is a global thing. I think that that was just a specific thing for what happened here because the rules don't apply sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a bummer. It Mm -hmm. was not cool. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So it... In, in essence, to sum it up, so what, what are the things that you would want officers to know or understand about their particular due process and rights if they're working for a tribal nation or a reservation? What are some things that you'd want to educate them on? Um, just to like bullet point those here at the end so that they can kind of get a snapshot of what they should know. I'm going to make it more global, and I'm going to stick with the theme of this podcast generally. All right. Don't go at it alone. Amen. That's the biggest thing, is that if you're going at it alone, then you're doing something wrong. That's our title right there. I like it. And the issue that I have is that when people are in situations that are unusual, right? That first time we are 
spider senses go and you're like, I don't really know what's going on here. If you're doing that alone, or you're trying to figure that out by yourself, then you're doing it wrong. And there's always an opportunity somewhere to get help. And even if you buy in the insurance after your house is burnt, like call early. Find somebody that actually can get you those resources to say, hey, this seems weird. What can I actually do? And even on a reservation, you have an option to be able to work with other people when you know what you have to be able to prepare for how you're going to articulate things even better than what you would have done alone. And I don't do anything alone. In my work, I have other people that review literally everything that I submit because even if I think I know better than who I'm talking to, that other perspective, how does this come across? How can I best phrase this for someone that doesn't know it as well as I do is so key. Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest advice is that don't go at it alone. Organizations like ASCOPs are here to help. Lawyers like me are here to help. I literally have YouTube videos that are, okay, hey, if an officer is experiencing this issue or wants to understand this, I don't want people to be in this situation where they're just lost at sea because they don't have the right information. Right. And be proactive. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's not a real common thing in law enforcement right. to be proactive about much other than firearms preparation. Right. <laughs> Which is good pause. Yeah. Um, but, you know, nobody's going to do this for you. Right. You got to do it for yourself. And it should start in the academy. And I know that's not always a good topic in academies or, or allowed in some academies where they even talk about the associations. Right. But please do this for yourself and do it for your families. I know with my ex-husband, who was DEA, he had a federal association. But sure. we always, always, the mortgage might not get paid, but the professional liability insurance got paid. Right. Every time we always carried over a million dollars coverage because at any point with the feds and we do have federal agents that listen, you know, all DEA had to say was, oh, he was acting outside the scope of his employment. Sure. (laughs) And then suddenly now we're out there with our stuff on the line. And then the other part, too, that I think you'll completely agree with is that support your peers. Yes. So it's not only for you, because I do agree that the officer has the primary responsibility. You got to take ownership. You have to reach out. Sure. But the other part that also really breaks my heart when I see is that you see officers or supervisors who know someone else is struggling, mm-hmm. knows that someone else is in a weird spot. Yep. Throw them that lifeline. Yes. Say, hey, look, I can connect you with those resources too. I can make a phone call. Even if I'm not the guy that can help, I know mm-hmm. a guy that can do that. And don't be afraid to reach out in those situations to yep. say, hey, I see you're here. Let, let me see if I can help you. Because there were people at Salt River who are members of AZ Cops, but you never knew it. Yeah, I didn't know till later. That's right. Right. Yeah. And so don't don't keep this stuff to yourself, guys. This isn't this isn't. A, I just got to take care of me. It, right. It it in no way dilutes your membership. Right. Bring everybody else into the fold with you. Yeah. Yeah. That was. Uh, it 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 eliminated a lot of naivety in the process mm-hmm. of, like how prepared you should be to expect uh, difficult things in the future. I know looking back, I wish that I would have signed up earlier, not because like I would have had different coverage or anything like that, because I feel like what happened on the last half is the best it could have gone. Like you and I stood in front of that appeal, well, virtually stood in front of that appeal board and factually, honestly, and accurately told my side of the story. And I don't think there was a better way that that could have gone. Um, 
and we'll hit on a second here what what came from that but i think that i i really would have benefited from the experience and knowledge that you guys had ahead of time yes is from the very first conversation i had with this lieutenant which was extremely casual like hey tell me about this podcast oh yeah that's cool it sounds like a good thing just make sure you're careful like right. that was the conversation right <laughs> and then i wrote a memo telling everyone in my chain of command what it was about inviting them on the podcast inviting them to listen this was not a behind the scenes hidden like no. trying to do it secretly i really didn't think i was doing anything wrong and uh, honestly still don't um i i wish that i would have reached out then and got a little bit of guidance because i think i could have been better educated on what was going to come and I think you would have found out like, oh, hey, this is this is kind of how this is going to work there. So sure. you need to be more careful because you don't have the same protections or whatever. You'd have found that stuff out and then we would have taken a different course. You know what I mean? Right. Or my statement wouldn't have been different in the predisciplinary hearing or whatever. You know, well, and that's one of the things that organizations do is they actually can work with leadership to clarify things. Yeah. So they can actually say it's not you going to your lieutenant or your chief. It can be a peer or it can be a union president that can say, hey, look. In my role as part of this organization, this has come up. What do you think is going to happen here? And they do that in Arizona, even though we're a right-to-work state. Like I'm, yep. a hu- I'm a huge believer of the ability for people to say, hey, look, I just want to see if this actually makes sense for everybody going sure. on. Because it's not our job to get everybody, you know, a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's right. not what we do. No. Right. My job is due process. And mm-hmm. that's the argument that I make all the time. That's the organizations that I work for's argument is we want this to be fair. Right. And do you think this is fair? And part of fairness is clarity. Yeah. Do I know where the guardrails sure. are? Sure. Well, and to, and nowadays when departments are now having to offer signing bonuses just to get yep. qualified people, they need to be able to keep everybody they can keep. So we have to be on the same page. Everybody has to know how it works and what the rules are and what does that look like. And if they don't know, then there's an issue somewhere in right. delivery or something just like look at law enforcement and how they'll look at a situation if an officer is killed the first thing they're looking at is there's some training we could have offered that could have changed something whatever it is you have to assess it so again you need to make sure everybody knows what the rules are right. and when people like yourself or jim parks or whoever can go in and go hey hold on a minute let's talk about this well and the more experience you have the different perspectives you have yes right so we want people that are out there enforcing the law on the front lines to be focused on what they're doing for law enforcement not necessarily looking at are our policies fair in our agency but you want to have somebody with those resources and with that knowledge to say hey now i'm running up against it now i have someone who does have that Mm -hmm. perspective that's different than mine that skill set that's different than what i do on a daily basis and they can really help with that. Sure. And that's what we encourage. Sure. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was trying to articulate. <laughs> is that it's a different resource. You get, That's your whole job is to understand that process and due process and making sure people are educated moving forward and that you're having the right conversations. Those were things I was not prepared for yeah. at all. And I, I suffered for that. And who'd have known if it ended differently, depending on what they wanted to do, right? Because they kind of make their own rules over there. But uh, to an extent. Um, but... I really wish I was more educated that I and I would have I should have educated myself is the problem I'm not blaming anybody that was my fault for steps I didn't take and things that I didn't learn Um, but But I uh, think the positive that's coming from it is you're able to take your experience now put it on here on the podcast 
and help others to not wind up in the pitfall that you fell into God, I hope unknown. So. Because again, you were the one who was editing all of the podcasts. Yeah. If you had truly thought anything you said violated anything that you had been told. Was going to get me fired. <laughs> wasn't, I mean, who better? It'd be one thing if we said, oh yeah, somebody else was editing it, didn't know. But you were listening and re-listening and all that. You could have edited that, what they came down to as one sentence, basically. Yeah. Um, that would have been gone. That sure. would have been out of the podcast. Nobody ever heard it. And this is where, you know, we can play fun hindsight games like this to say, if you had had an organization that you contacted, mm-hmm. then what we would have likely done is said, we want clear expectations for what you're saying or what you're not saying. Right. There's no vague whatever's going on. Like, tell us what we can tell our guy to make sure that we have a really clear path forward. And that's a hard conversation if you're the one that's in it, trying to have that informally versus saying, hey, the organization reached out. We know this is a weird situation. Let's define the terms early because you shouldn't be surprised fired in law enforcement. Like, I just don't think that that is a thing. I agree. Yeah. And don't you think, too, agencies, when they realize there are other people outside the agency involved, whether it's a lawyer or a president of a union or whatever, don't you think then they tend to maybe step back a little bit and it becomes less personal to them? Because I think this was all personal. I think this was personal between the department and ACE. And maybe had there been some level of intervention of somebody else from the outside earlier on, that maybe everybody could have kind of calmed down and said, let's apply logic. You know, I can take that exact same concept and apply it generally. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. And that's what I do with sure. any discipline case that I have. And I, that's what I encourage people to do. This is why law enforcement, you don't investigate your own family members. Right. You would yeah. never do that. Right. right. So if you can make it, hey, it's not personal. Like what's the rule and what's the conduct? And does the rule and the conduct match or not match? And we can do this from taking personalities out of it, taking mm-hmm feelings out of it to the extent that you can that is where i think outside groups can be really successful for it is you're not getting into that personal level you're getting into that objective level which i think is fair and that's what i try to argue all the time is what's fair and what's in the best interest of the agency and the officer because you'll never convince me that ace not working at salt river is in the best interest of salt river Right. Because of this podcast and because of one sentence that he said, just basically building rapport with another guest about a line of duty death. Right. How can that be a negative at Salt River at any level? Right. He's four years on, which now, scary enough as it is, is seniority in a lot of agencies in sure. patrol. Yeah. You know, 15 years ago, we wouldn't have said that, but that's what it is now. They've lost a seasoned officer. They've invested, good heavens, can we even put a dollar amount? At one time, the FBI put out years ago that a five-year officer's value was a quarter of a million dollars. Oh, right, easily. And yeah. I think it's higher than that when you look at liability. Right. You take a brand new officer coming out of an academy, you take somebody who's learned the hard lessons, what to do, what not to do, out on, especially out in the public, I think that quarter of a million goes to a half a million easily when you add liability into it. So really, they have gotten rid of an officer for one statement, and that's in the best interest of Salt River and the community? You'll never convince me of that. Well, and what's unfortunate is that 
they think, and we even had to degrees a level of testimony about this, they think that this was a misunderstanding or a miscommunication potentially as well. Sure. And that's the hard part about, to your point, about maybe if things get personal or to the bigger point that we're talking about it, if you go at it alone and then you're having weird, undocumented, like, is this official? Is it not official? What are we really doing here? That level of uncertainty is what also creates those problems. Sure. And that's that's a loss for everyone all the way around. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we, that's what's got to change. We touched on the benefit of having that objective standpoint, right? And how that kind of helps ensure fairness to a degree, right. to a greater degree. So that would have been the point of an appeals board. Right. Right. So from your perspective on how the appeal went and then the result of the appeal, can you explain that to our audience, what what the result was there? Well, I can say that, again, generally in Arizona, you have the right if you're terminated or if you have a significant suspension or a demotion to have an appeal before either a neutral hearing officer or an appeals board. And then if the city manager has the final say over discipline, if the city manager overturns the appeals board, the city manager has to say why. And then the officer has the right to actually further appeal that into superior court. That does not apply on the Salt River Reservation. So we actually don't know how the appeals board (laughs) ruled in your case. Yeah. Because, again, in Arizona, we would get a notification from the board to say, here's your vote, and this is your result. And then the city manager, if they have that level of review, some cities do, some don't. But the city manager says, yes or no, I bless the appeals board decision or I overturn it. Here, we got a letter saying, the appeals board has met, the city manager has decided to uphold the termination effectively yeah. it's not the city manager community the community manager, manager right yeah on were, the were they on that panel that no. I t- oh they weren't even on that panel so they didn't hear any of that well i mean they i guess they could have they recorded the the appeal um they so we don't it? know oh that's right but okay. we so we have no idea what the community manager know or knows or heard or understands correct he, yeah <laughs> he may have received none of the testimony or all of the testimony from the appeal so his level of information is completely unknown Again, how do I get my world to work that way? I could be so productive. Everybody just do what I want you to do. It's called tyranny and it's generally frowned upon. Yeah, it works for a little while. Mr. Steve, you're no fun at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so in the the end, reading it, right? So my perspective and what I've... Maybe it's just what I'm telling myself so I sleep better at night is that the board must have ruled in my favor. Now that is completely speculative. I have no evidence to support that. Or but, against it. But, or against which it. Which is very very interesting. It's that bizarre. We literally don't know. We had right. an appeals right. hearing. I've never even heard of a system where you can have a hearing and the board says we right. will take it under advisement and then you literally never, never know. Yeah. And so the, and the reason that I say that I feel like they would have uh, judged in my favor, right, is because I was present for the whole appeal right for every witness testimony for everything you and i and the board were the people that were there for the whole thing and listening to the way that you articulated the the argument from our end and thank you by the way i felt like you did me justice i really do and i think everybody should know that if anybody ever works with you i feel like you definitely want steve in your corner yeah i feel like my my perspective was really 
respected and argued honestly. And he doesn't know it, but I have him on retainer. Yeah. <laughs> I just got to give him that yeah. dollar and it if was, I can find it. And it, was, and it was no... And look, guys, for those of you that listened to me talk on here before, justice is more important than me winning, right? So I, I wouldn't have wanted to go in there and argued an inaccurate point or a dishonest point just to win back my job or to win the argument. That wouldn't have been right. And I can tell you right now that there was no bullshit in that appeal that we hit on points that were true and purposeful and I felt well defended even though it didn't go in my favor in the end uh, that was kind of besides the point we talked about that at the end how it's like it didn't matter we, we got out there what we needed to get out there we told the story I wanted to tell I felt like they heard me and I feel like anybody listening to that and I recorded much of it on my phone I'd be happy to share maybe I should do like a Facebook live that'd be a really long Facebook live <laughs> it was two days of appeal how many hours was that it, was, it had to be close to 10 hours it was of appeal pretty extensive yeah yeah and then with all the fun that technology and zoom yes, and coronavirus and have to relocate yeah. and move around so and they did record it on the zoom but i i highly doubt they would offer to give us a copy because i think i remember something about them saying uh whoever was in charge of that board um saying that it was confidential and that we're not allowed to talk about it which that there is i'm not beholden to any policy or law that would well i can again it's educational right so in <laughs> regular Arizona <laughs> that recording would be a public record and you as the person who had the appeal would certainly have had the right to have a copy of it right on a reservation mm-hmm. who knows right what so the rules the, are related to that in in general I think it's important for officers to know if you're going to work on a reservation is to understand where you stand as far as these rights policies due process all of that because I don't know how much different your agency would be than mine I know that in my agency I thought for a long time, in fact, four years leading right up until my termination, that I still worked for somewhere that had my civil rights protected and that I had the same systems that I had when I walked two miles south into Arizona. I thought that it was the United States of America and I had certain rules and protections and recourse if those were violated. That is not exactly true. Oh, that's, that's not true at all. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's, the reservation. You, you have recourse, but it's in tribal court. And we don't know the efficacy of those protections. It, it, to me, at least, the, the, the thing that I would be scared of doing, investing my time, a lot of time, effort and money into retaining a tribal lawyer and going there, is I would feel, given my perspective through the appeal and through the termination process, I would be terrified that I am wasting my time and money on an unfair fight. That's how I feel. Now, that is just my perspective. I do have to... You know, say, because I do have a broader perspective than just one agency in one situation, is that I can name many, if not most agencies, actually, even small agencies, even ones that don't have to, have robust internal review processes. They'll have things like a discipline review board that they respect internally, or they work with officers and potentially union leaders to be able to go through things, or they have good outside counsel that they use to actually say, hey, is this fair? Because most of my opponents that I actually deal with in Arizona are really good about ensuring a degree of fairness and a degree of due process. And again, it goes to what I talked about where more than half of my job is spent outside of actual litigation, actual hearings and things like that. Because even small agencies can invest the time and resources and have a commitment to saying, no, we will be fair. So you could have, if you wanted to, if you're leading a reservation, you could say, we will have a robust, we will be known for due process. We will be known for fairness. We'll be known for actually, you know, being respectful of 
our officers' interest in working here and our community's interest in making sure that we're upholding standards. Yeah. Those just saying, and I want to make sure that that message is clear, yeah. just saying you work for a reservation or a tribal community doesn't necessarily mean that they're not committed to due process, sure. but it's something that they have to take seriously. Right. In my they opinion. they don't have to provide it. Correct, because it's on them to be able to do that. But right. that's a conversation that I think some of the listeners can have with their leadership is to yeah. say, what are we doing to make sure that this process is fair? Is that something that is important to this agency first? Right. Can we get that bedrock principle established? And then what are we doing to ensure fairness? Right. Yeah. That's and I point. will sing the praises as we were talking about before the podcast, the Hopi Nation. Sure. That I have nothing but the utmost respect for that organization, that police department. They have provided every resource in two shootings that I've been involved in. Right. Um, and they have just bent over backwards for the wellness of their people. And I don't have anything to believe that they wouldn't with regards to due process also. Right. And that's where I've represented officers in some of the biggest agencies in the state and some of the smallest agencies in the mm-hmm. state. And I have seen the spectrum of there's agencies that do due process and fairness really well. Sure. And some that struggle with it. And it is not, oh, we have to be big in order to be fair. Like, that is not the case. You can actually have good systems in place. And I encourage everyone to work towards that. It should be a common goal. And I think that falls back to leadership. Sure. And if you're not going alone, and not going at it alone if you're an officer, not being in the situation where, oh, I work for a small agency, so there's nothing I can do about that. That's the wrong attitude. Yeah, it's, it's not true. Yeah. So do better than I did. Find representation, find that team, that support system that I found later. <laughs> and, you know, and set aside everything difficult, what it was for you. But again, I think you've come out on the positive side of this thing. Oh, for sure. I, I think there are, you know, this podcast even benefited at some level to what Salt River did. I, I don't want people thinking that, you know, we were in any way damaged here or anything else because it gave us the opportunity to have Chris mm-hmm. as the co-host for a while. That would not have happened. Yeah. And I think that's a huge plus for us. So Salt River, thank you very much. Um, because Chris was a huge asset here yeah. for the short time that he was with us. Well, and, and I think that the fight that was had, like like I just said, like we, we got my story across. I feel, uh, what's the right word? I, I, I feel like I've done everything I can do. I feel satisfied. That's the word I want to find. Is I feel satisfied with the fight that we fought. And on top of that, it, like bonus Find some progress, Ace. Right. Yeah, I know. Always. It. Always. <laughs> is I, I knew that, that name was going to hit home so close. <laughs> I I really appreciate the fact that I was able to, maybe this is apparent from my history, but I like being the one out on the front taking the fight to whatever it is that needs to be fought. And I feel like that was something that I got a role to play in this, is I was able to find something out about my agency in general and in the process of all this and getting terminated and that we learned a bunch of important, valuable information that really couldn't have been learned any other way yes. other than going through this and taking the steps and fighting the fight. I could have given up at any time. Sure. Um, plenty of people told me to. <laughs> and a lot of law enforcement officers, unfortunately do that. They just go, it's not worth it. And they walk away. Yeah. And that's why things don't change. People don't learn things, that kind of stuff. You took this all the way. And in that, there's a lot of lessons for other people to help them. Yeah. So I just, in closing, I just hope that everybody got something from it. That if there's questions that you have, reach out to me, message me on Facebook, whatever. 
I, I would love to help you understand what I went through and what I would do differently if I could do it all again. And then if you have any like questions, at least now I know of at least one excellent resource, which is Ascops and Steve, Mr. Steve. And, that's and make sticking sure you man. ask for Mr. Steve. Yeah, that's that's sticking, man. Call Jim Parks, ask for Mr. Steve. That's He'll right. know exactly we'll sure who you're talking who, about. He knows who we're talking about. Yeah, capital M, capital S. Um, and uh, it's just, it was an experience that I... I was told that there's parts of this that can get edited out. Yes, that, but that okay. won't be one of them. Yeah. No, no, Mr. Steve is sticking. In fact, we've, we've discussed the name of this episode a few times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you may be Maybe immortalized. It'll be Mr. Steve. It'll, it'll be immortalized. No, don't go at it alone. It's definitely a good time. Yeah, that's, that's yep, definitely that's, better. That, yeah. Call Mr. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I want everyone to feel like they've learned something with me on this. Because yes. I feel like this, I, this wasn't worth it if I'm the only one that learned anything. Because obviously I'm, I'm not back in it yet. I might at some point. But I hope those of you who still are in the fight and who still wear the badge and who still go out there and do the good things and who at some point may have to fight the same fight I did, learn something and go at it better prepared than I was. That's the only thing I can ask for through all of this. I don't care about anything else. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think we earn or deserve anything else for fighting a good fight. I think I hope that the lessons were learned and I just want to share them with everybody. So if you, if there's things that I didn't touch on, or if there's questions you have about my personal experience or about what I learned with Steve, or if you have questions for Steve, I'm sure there's ways to reach out to him. Um, or but, other resources in other parts of the country. Yeah, message you know, us. Under the Shield is nationwide in Canada. Call us because we can do digging and asking where others may not be able to. Yeah, it, it's it's that you do have resources. Yes. A lot of resources. We, we talk about this all the time with people on scenes, when people are struggling in their life, whatever. It's like, hey, look, I have resources. I can help you. Yes. Right? Don't, don't feel like that's unnecessary. Um, we're not meant to do any of this alone. That life, anything. I mean, why? I don't know. I have a no lot one of... person has all the answers. No one resource has all the answers. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta get with all of it and find out what works best for you. And you should reach out too. If you see other people struggling, this yes. is the part that really kills me. Is that yes. I've dealt with officers where I'm going, man, you've kind of been on a downward spiral for a while. But where was your squad mates? Where, where was your supervisor? Where were the people that were there? And then when I go and talk to those guys, they're like, yeah, man, he he did seem to be spiraling down for a while. He did seem to have things wrong. And I'm going, dude, have that conversation with your brothers and sisters that are out there that you see sure. and, and reach out to them too. So I hope the encouragement is the same to say, look, even if you're not struggling, right. if you think your partner or your sergeant or someone you work with is struggling, reach out then too, because we can help you figure out how to have some of those conversations and get people connected. And I'm a huge advocate. One of the most frustrating things is where someone's terminated or a suicide or something and you go in and they'll go, Oh yeah, man, we saw that coming a long time ago. Right. Then why didn't you speak up? Right. Yeah. You know, call me, call somebody. We'll get in there with them. You know, I'm known for crawling in a patrol car to ride with somebody because somebody's worried about them. Right. Let some if you're not comfortable asking, that's fine, but get somebody involved. Right. If there's if there's two things that I can tell anybody that I ever meet for words of advice, it's one, it's good to speak up. Don't be afraid to speak up. And two, there's a right way to do that. So, Wait a minute, there's three. Susan's hmm? always right. No, I would not tell them that. <laughs> 
You can tell them that when they meet you're you. You're fired. Yeah. Well. <laughs> you're off the podcast. Oh, thank God I'm free. I'm so used to this. Is there an appeal process? <laughs> no. It's the world according to Susan. Oh, man. And I'm always right, so it I keep matter. doing this. Same podcast. I know, exactly. But we're grateful to have everyone with us. We're grateful to have the conversation. Steve, thanks for coming on with yes. us. Yes, and, and before we about this. close out, I do want to make sure we extend our condolences to Phoenix, who lost... A very young officer last night, 27-year-old right. officer knew, was killed in a traffic accident, and um, the other driver also was killed. But, yeah, he had only been owned since 2019, and um, having just gone through this very closely related to someone, um, uh, my heart goes out to the family, to all the officers, to everyone that worked with him. And uh, we're here at Under the Shield. You can call us, 855-889-2348. 24-7. We're here for families. We're here for everybody. Please reach out. Don't try to go through this alone. Yeah, if there's something I can say about that is I had close friends when we lost Officer Townsend. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on that squad, and there were six of us. It was our first day on that shift. That was that sergeant's first day as a sergeant. Wow. That was the good sergeant, the awesome yes. one that we had in. Um, and it took time for this to manifest in these people. There are a couple people from that squad that are still struggling with that fight. And so what I would say to you guys who were close to this officer or who feel like, you know, that you're carrying a little bit of this burden is reach out now, get to understand it now before it, it you know, for lack of, you know, sensitive words, it consumes you because yes. it certainly can if you let it. Um, but don't put yourself in a weak position to be consumed by it. Absolutely. Educate yourself like we're talking about with anything else. Educate yourself ahead of time. Reach out to the resources as soon as you have this, and you're losing your friend is the first sign. Go, yes. go talk to somebody, find a resource, and uh, understand what you're going to be dealing with because you're probably not dealing with all of it yet. All right. And next week we have uh, another exciting guest. We have retired U.S. Marshal Robert Almonte oh, out right. of Texas. I'm very excited. We'll be one. with us, and yeah, I'm going to have to bring duct tape to put on Ace's mouth. Because he's just going to want to grilling for everything. I've already warned Robert about it. Yeah. Um, but for anyone in narcotics work, you definitely want to hear this. Because uh, Steve, are you familiar with Robert? I've heard of him. Yeah, he's uh, yeah he is the the guru of Mexican cartels. His training is the only training in thirty years that gave me nightmares. Yeah, I mean it really did. That's why I'm so excited to talk to him. I know you can't wait, but it it will be a it will be a great show. And we're just excited to have you. And we thank you, Steve, for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I'm sure we'll have you back at some point on something else either Ace does or I do or somebody does. But <laughs> or general questions. It's been fun talking with you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. So come back and see us. We appreciate you being here. Love you. God bless. And stay safe. And thank you for the sacrifices you make. Yep. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Susan. Thank you, Mr. Steve. Yes. Till next time.